Andy Farrell, are you watching? Sport is so fickle, and you know this more than anyone, Quinny. Like, you know, you're either on top of the world or you're down in the doldrums. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Subscribe to the rugby channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. The Koi Gig Pod and OTB Sports in association with Cadbury. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support. Everyone ran their socks off tonight and they left everything out there. They're very proud of the, the team's performance. Let the shackles off Katie a bit so that she can go and play her game. We're going to go out there to beat them. We're going to try and beat them. Hello there and welcome to the latest episode of the Koi Gig Pod, your go-to podcast for all the latest happenings in the Women's Super League, Irish football and everything in between. I'm Kathleen Ratney and joining me as always is Karen Duggan. Karen, how are you? Very good. We've made it through January unscathed. I know. Well, very nearly. This life, I still feel like there's a little bit to go with it being transfer deadline day and stuff. I'm still like That's watching true. all That's the true. tickers go by. Well, men's transfer deadline day. We already had women's transfer deadline, which we'll be talking about a little bit later in the show. But you had a good weekend. It was, was it a more calm one than some of the more recent ones? It was. It was. I think preseason is putting schmucks on me now, putting a bit of manners <laughs> on me. So um, <laughs> that's probably for the best. <laughs> but yeah, good weekend. Um, obviously, we didn't have WSL action, so pretty chilled, but keeping an eye on things that were going on during the week. And obviously, there was FA Cup going on as well. So um, interesting stuff going on there. Yeah, I was gonna, whenever I see it as a WSL weekend, I always say it's going to be a little bit quieter and then it just ends up being busier than I ever thought it would be. But we survived, which is the main thing. Uh, the Koi Gig Pod and OTB Sports and is in association with Cabri FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland Women's National Team. This week, we'll be joined on the pod by Ireland International and newly signed Rangers player, Keir Grant. We were uh, teeing her up last week as someone who we were going to talk to about the new season of Women's National League, but we'll... We'll change tact a little bit. We can talk to her about that as well, but also her new signing. And we'll have something extra special for you with the WSL on a quieter week. We've let Emma Carroll run rogue and ditch the team of the week um, to instead bring us the first ever Koi Gig Transfer Awards, which I'm very excited about. The best, the worst, the stupidest, the most confusing, basically everything that you could want from Transfer Talk and what the January window had to offer. But before all that, there were a few games just slightly before the weekend when we had all the FA Cup fourth round action. And those were two rescheduled WSL fixtures. So we had Chelsea versus West Ham and Arsenal versus Brighton. So we'll start with the Chelsea game. Kind of what you would expect, a bit more normal service for Chelsea? Yeah, I think that they were dominant. Now West Ham made them work pretty hard for their goals. Um but they did have a lot of possession and were pressing really, really hard the whole time. Um, they had a lot of chances, flashed a few past the post and, and things like that. But they came good and their stars were there again. I thought Cuthbert was exceptional again. She would have been on Team of the Week had we had one. Um, I think she's made a lot of them now. So she's bang in form and a lot of them seem to be too harder, was pressing everywhere. And they had that kind of direct style that you kind of knew that they were going to break down West Ham eventually. And they did get their just rewards with two goals. I wonder, do like when Bethany England saw Australia drop out of the Asia Cup, was she like slightly annoyed? Because I feel like she's gotten a much better chance since Sam Kerr hasn't been around to kind of refine her form. So you think about the season before Sam Kerr joined and kind of that weird COVID season, you know, she was one of the best forwards in the league. And since then, I don't know, she just kind of dropped out of contention completely. And a little bit of me wonders. Would a move, since we are talking transfers later <laughs> on in the thing, would a move somewhere be better for a player like her so she could regain that form again? 
Um, possibly. It's, it's an interesting point because obviously she wants to be playing for one of the top teams, but you saw she was on the pitch a couple of minutes and she, she got a goal and she's that natural goal scorer, poacher, and they're very hard to come by. So you would think a team, she'd be perfect for a team like maybe Man United or for um, Spurs, someone who needs a goal score because she could be that kind of marquee striker that they all seem to have like Chelsea got Kerr, you know, Miedema now Blackstenius at Arsenal um, she can be that big name for a team and, and she's a striker and strikers are inherently selfish and it's a really good feature of a good striker is that they are angry when they don't get goals and they're not going to get them if they're not on the pitch so it would have been but I'm sure that there's a good atmosphere at Chelsea and she, she sees that they're one of the top top teams so it will be a very difficult move but it might be something she'll look at um, come the summer It was an important evening for both sides considering the results that both Arsenal and Chelsea have had recently and we've talked about it quite a lot and the fact that it was probably the first time I went into one of the, these evenings looking at them playing West Ham and Brighton, knowing that the two teams are technically on paper better, but also not really knowing what was going to happen. And for a little while in the Brighton game, it did look like Arsenal were going to slip up again and lose that slight lead over Chelsea at the top of the table. They did pull it back a little bit through Medima and a very, very nice free kick from Beth Mead. Yes, but I can't imagine you as is feeling all that relaxed after that game. <laughs> no, it was far from um, comprehensive. I mean, again, they had to go a goal down to kind of kickstart them in the game. I thought they were much better in the second half and kind of injected a bit more pace, but they weren't especially good in the first half. Um, now, I don't think Brighton were brilliant either. They're not on a brilliant run of form. They're starting to turn things around and a draw there would have been brilliant. But but they had the quality in the end. Like I said, Mead, her set-piece delivery in the whole game were, were causing a threat. Um, Miedema could have scored within four minutes from one of those corners and you saw what she did with the free kick. Excellent strike, nothing to take against it. I'd be scared. I'd just look at the positioning of the wall. Um, I think Megan Walsh would be a little bit disappointed looking back on it, but not to take away from the strike. It was pace, power, precision, she had it all. And I think that um, for me, she was player of the match and, and they needed her to be. Yeah, you could see Megan Walsh after the free kick went in was absolutely raging with her defenders in front of her. But I suppose as well, it's on her as much to kind of communicate with them to make sure that they're in the right place. thought it was interesting too, after the match, Jonas Edeval was asked, you know, what kind of gave Arsenal the kick in the second half? And he was like, oh, well, we had Katie McCabe come into the dressing room and give a bit of a speech. But I suppose it just, again, kind of reiterates the leadership role that she has in that team, even if she's on the bench because of a suspension, which isn't great when it comes to leadership, but like it shows what she can actually do and what she can commit to a team, even when she's not on the pitch. Yeah, well, she has that captain quality. She has the experience of doing that now, and she's not one of the young players in that dressing room anymore. And, you know, we all know what she has as a player. She's going to command respect. And, and it's oftentimes in games like those where they look to Katie to maybe put in a tackle and that's why she has her suspension because they've had to have that kick at times. Um, at times they haven't had the same bite and Katie's kind of the person who spearheads that for the Arsenal team. So they were obviously missing her, but it's great to hear that she has that influence on the dressing room because they were a different team in the second half. Um, there was a lot more purpose to their play um, and they weren't just going through the motions expecting the win. I think that that's something they definitely have to knock out of themselves because they haven't been overly comprehensive in recent times and they are going to have to dig out results as the season goes on and like say you're going to have more injuries and all of the games that they've played are going to start catching up and reintroduction of internationals are going to cause havoc on the top teams. Um, 
So it was a good result for them to just get that over the line without being particularly brilliant and great that Katie still has that influence and it bodes well for us as Irish fans that she can rally a group like that. Mm-hmm. I think as well one of the things that is important for us to touch on on the podcast we said there wasn't AWSL this weekend it was FA Cup mostly it was fourth round there weren't any like massive surprise the main one probably was the fact that Leicester beat Tottenham 3-1 Tottenham were 1-0 up on 80 minutes and Leicester got those late three goals something that I imagine Rianne Skinner would not be happy with at all especially considering the form that Spurs have been in pre-Christmas and now seem to be on a bit of a, a downward spiral but one thing I want to touch on as well was the fact that just before the games kicked off and this is something Emma Hayes had talked about during the week before was the FA said that they were going to significantly increase the prize money given to the players that or to the teams that are competing in the competition and also who win um, now it's kind of one of those things you have to take with a slight asterisk on it just because what does significantly increase mean I mean mm. if they double the prize money it goes up to 50,000 while the men's still stands at like 1.8 million pounds so <laughs> significant increases could mean anything but do you think this is more of a publicity stunt from the FA or do you think they are actually listening like I don't think anyone is sitting saying the prize money needs to be exactly the same as the men's. But I thought um, Siobhan on Talk Sport made a really great point when she said, well, for the 50 years that the FA banned it, maybe it should be times 50. And then that still wouldn't bring it up to what the men earn. And that would be kind of what those players deserve. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the FA Cup is the, is the competition for it. I mean, the FA Cup has always kind of been there for tradition. And um, people always talk about the magic of the cup when it comes to investment bread and butter is the WSL and you want to see more of those bottom teams reaching parity with the top teams and that can't just come from men's funding. We're seeing Birmingham and we'll touch on it. They can't compete in the transfer market with the top teams. They don't seem to have the investment and the money. So is there something there that the the FA can kind of look at in improving the investment in the WSL or parity among the a few leagues? Um, you don't want just want it to be prize money because at the end of the day, look at the people who are still in the pot. They're going to be the top teams and maybe not the teams who need it the most. So yes, for participation, I think that there should be definite increase for the FA Cup funding. Um, but in terms of actual investment and it being meaningful, it's going to have to be spread across um, the lower end of the division and the lower leagues to actually have a meaningful impact. Yeah, no, I agree there. I think, I suppose, because there are so few opportunities, especially for lower league teams in the women's game to get an opportunity to say um, Manchester United, they played against Bridgewater. And I think they something like their ticket sales for the game were 10 times what they would normally get of a match. And stuff like that is great and really important. But if there is a little bit more of that FA Cup money going to the lower teams, because again, you look at the, I think it was something like 25 grand, but... Chelsea got this year at the end and most teams up until this point will get a couple of hundred for getting to the fourth round if Mm. that went up like 25 grand to a team like Bridgewater probably means a lot more than 25 grand to a team like Chelsea out of that prize money so I think again like you said it does it has to trickle down but at least it would set a little bit more of a precedent for that money to come in at an earlier stage and so even we saw it during COVID when the FA Cup was shut down it was shut down in the early rounds because it was considered a non-elite sport which is kind of ridiculous when you say you look at a team like London City Lionesses putting it to Arsenal at the weekend and it was 1-0 and it very easily could have gone the other way and Arsenal would have gone out 
again, maybe I'm falling into the magic of the cup, you know, yeah. <laughs> anyone can do a run in it, but, um, and you get it less. So I think a lot of the time, actually in the women's game, that like these smaller teams do a run, like maybe we see in the men's side, but I thought it was no, interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. I think that, yes, the, the money being pumped into it should certainly be uh, increased and increased 10, 50 fold, maybe like Siobhan said, but um, I do think that it should start at the, the lower rounds and um, because that's where it would be most meaningful it would be the same like if you gave 25 grand to a women's national league team here it would nearly fund them for the full season and probably similar to Bridgewater and teams like that and that's going to just improve players there's not having to pay to play and it's just going to make it a more professional setup all around and these teams feed up into the WSL so it's important not to forget about them but um yeah definitely increasing the money is excellent just the the div- divvying out of that is what needs to be looked at. I definitely agree. Well, if anyone listening has any opinions, suggestions or thoughts on how the season is going, how much money the players should be getting out of the FA Cup, anything about what the match is coming up this weekend, get them into us on Twitter at Off The Ball using the hashtag OTBKoyGig. We alluded to earlier, we're doing something a little bit different this week, the inaugural Koi Gig Transfer Awards. And here to take them through us is host, judge, jury, prize giver. We've literally given you every single role, Emma. <laughs> Karen and I were like, we're taking a step back, we'll argue, but you have absolute control about what's going to happen. So we have our best transfer some honourable mentions throughout the whole thing. We also have our worst transfers, uh, our most surprising ones, and also just the strangest ones, the ones that we couldn't really wrap our head around. So we have quite a lot to get through. So I suppose we'll start at the very beginning. If you want to tell us your best transfer of the January transfer window. Well, we go straight in with the winner. Um, Blackstenius to Arsenal, I think, has to be the winner. Um, just It's a really exciting sign- signing. And I think whether... It's as a replacement, and I'm hoping it's not as, as a replacement. But if it is, it's it's a brilliant sign, signing, and hopefully get her bedded in nice and early as well before the new seasons roll around. While you still have Midema there, but if it's a pairing option, then I think that like that could just be electric. If Midema is playing just offer, um, you can just you know like bet Mead on the other side. It could be just like Arsenal could be. Very exciting to watch up front next season. Um, so yeah, she's she's the winner for me. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, she's she's only twenty five, so she's coming into her prime, and she, like you got Miedema, she's a good age as well, and she's she'll only learn from Miedema, who I think is probably the best in the world in that position. Like at twenty five, she's something like seventy two caps. Um, so she has a wealth of experience, and she still it has to to hit her peak yet. So I think it's. Um, a really astute signing by Arsenal on that one. I, I agree. And I think what I noticed with whenever she was playing in that game with Man City and it was just before the Tobin Heath goal and it was like her and Beth Mead in the box kind of grappling for the ball, fighting for it. And what I loved was kind of the physicality of it because I think sometimes that's something that maybe not so much in the midfield, but especially in attack and defence that Arsenal lose out on sometimes. And I really liked the fact that we saw her when she played against Ireland. That's exactly what she brought. She wasn't afraid to muscle people off the ball. She isn't afraid to get stuck in. And like you said, Hopefully it's not a replacement for Miedemax, this the sort of player that we all want to see keep playing in the WSL and we can keep enjoying her there. But if it is, it's probably one of the smartest moves Arsenal could have made, especially because her deal had expired with 
Hacken, so it wasn't the sort of thing where they actually had to go out and spend money on her in the same way that they did with Nikita Paris and stuff during the summer. Although, as was out, most deals in the January transfer window are tend to be expired deals or in the women's game. Yeah, and I think then Arcelot made another good sign as well in Raphael Souza as well. She's already in about, I think, 90 minutes or whatever Leah Williamson has played since her return from injury that you can already tell they're complementing each other um, and yeah I thought that that's a good signing as well which they needed to bolster in defence as well which you could see when Williamson was injured just how much they struggled at the back as well and to have somebody of her experience in there is is another smart decision as well Yeah Williamson is she's a the person who starts all of the attacks because she's so technically good on the ball. So um, to have another player like that in the Arsenal defence who you feel confident getting it off the keeper and setting up those attacks that will make life a lot easier on midfield. The likes of Little and drop back as much. And um, yeah, they could be another good pair. And so yeah, an astute window by Arsenal all around. Yeah, I think um, another honourable mention should go to Bruin as well. He went to Manchester United on the final day of uh, the deadline day, even which could be really smart from that. Like we heard Mark Skinner crying out for depth and, and he definitely got it in the midfield there, I think, as well. I also just love the story of how this one came about. I think I was talking to you guys about it on the day, but the fact that her, I follow her agents on Instagram and like a couple of other social media platforms. And it seems to be literally, they just did a bit of a wild thing the night before they got this transfer in 13 minutes before the deadline. I think her agent reached out and then the next morning they just flew her into Manchester, made the deal happen in a day. And I think it just... It's one of those fun stories and I don't think you get an awful lot of that in the women's game because there isn't a lot of, you know, you see you'd say today with the transfer window, Obama Yang flying into Barcelona and then saying, oh, I was just on a family holiday. <laughs> you don't really get too many women's players flying around in jets and stuff to cover transfer deals. And I think it shows how things are progressing and how the game in general is progressing. But I totally agree. Like very, very smart signing from Manchester United, not one that anyone really saw coming. Like there was rumors that she was leaving, but there was no rumors really attaching her to um, United. And I wonder, cause I know I heard that like several striker positions for them, like fell through in particular during the transfer window, even Blackstonius was one of the, players that United were targeting will they look at that transfer window on that final day as and, and United fans especially and say after all those failed deals they actually didn't do too badly out of it I mean signing a player from Leon it's how much more could you want <laughs> yeah it's brilliant and I, I think as well um, another team that kind of probably doesn't get much of a mention is Aston Villa as well like Arsenal probably maybe won the window if you want to put it that way but um, I think Villa done some smart and clever business as well bringing in some experience with like Jill Scott on loan Rachel Crosby as well and then um, getting Anna Patton on loan as well she's like I think a real talent and one for the future as well I was kind of surprised to see her go from Arsenal but when you think about this bringing in Sousa and getting Williamson back from injury as well maybe they were just thinking about how do we get her game time and get get her more experience and I think it's brilliant for Villa, really. Yeah, yeah she's young, so she has room for development and that's only going to happen with game time and she'll have plenty of defending to do with Aston Villa. I think that, like you said, they were really good signings to bolster them up because Villa will just 
keep an eye out on, on Leicester and Birmingham. They don't want to get dragged into that bottle. They want to start establishing themselves maybe as a mid-table team. So um, in bolstering their squad, it gives them the opportunity to do that. So, yeah, I think, again, like you say, they, they were second place in terms of the transfers. Particularly a smart business, I think, with them and Rachel Corsi in the sense that she had signed a two-year deal with Casey Curran during the summer and she writes a column and she was saying that they named her captain and then told her just before Christmas that they wouldn't want her anymore. And it just shows the the different ways that teams operate. Obviously, in the US, you own the rights to a player, but you can still give... It's kind of like a loan deal, but you can still register with European teams, whereas they just cut her off completely and she didn't really have any choice over anything. So I think for Villa to know that a player of her experience was ready and available, it was very smart for them to get her. And you can imagine she'll have something she'll want to prove after getting treated like that by Casey Current. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then um, one just outside of the WSL as well is Lindsay Horan to or Horan, as they call it in NWSL commentary, to Leon. <laughs> Anytime I've seen highlights of NWSL matches or seen the US play, she just looks really exciting. And she's kind of, I think she's going to be the one to replace all the stalwarts, if you like, um, up front as well for, for the US. Um, and just, I put her in there because we'll hopefully get to see her play some Champions League and we'll get to see a bit more of her as well. Yeah, and she's incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to the French League. I mean, she skipped going into the draft system and went straight to France instead of college out of high school. She is going to be there with Katerina Macario. So from a US Women's National Team point of view, they will be delighted about that. It's kind of part of a whole new system the US seem to be running where they do a bit more, they actually let players leave and go to different markets outside of the US, preferring to have kept them quite close, especially, um, I suppose, for like training purposes in previous years. So it's good to see that like they are letting more players come over to Europe because obviously it's a lot easier to watch them when they're playing in the Champions League than staying up to watch highlights of the NWSL at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, which I've done many a time. Um, and then to move on to our worst category... Yeah, I, I didn't do a worse signing as such, but I don't know, maybe worst, why didn't you sign um, Manchester City signing a backup goalkeeper? Um, now, I know Ellie Roebuck is, has just um, come back from injury in the FA Cup as well, but you don't know how long that's going to last and they've had real issues <laughs> without a goalkeeper. Um, I think this season, I think they definitely need to, to bolster in that area now maybe they think they have enough in the young talent that's coming up behind Roebuck um, but I, I thought with all the money that they have that it was quite surprising that they didn't even maybe look at bringing somebody in on loan um, when you look it wasn't at- all that long ago they had Georgia Stanway ready to stick on a jersey or they were pulling 16 year olds up from the academy which is fine for a match that maybe doesn't matter too much but also it is a lot of pressure on young shoulders especially in a team like Man City yeah, I thought they really could have done with someone in that yeah, area. So maybe they could have looked at another transfer. Or Carly Telford, she left Chelsea. Could she have been an excellent backup? I mean, she has a wealth of experience that you wouldn't be worried about putting her in at any stage. So, yeah, it was an interesting call by them. But, yeah, they obviously are, are happy with the players who are coming back. We've seen it and uplift in their form. So it's still a strange one because it is that kind of defining um, position on the pitch that you need covering but um, they're obviously feeling confident with what they have 
I think as well, part of it could be that there aren't a whole lot of, say Carly Telford is someone who's towards the end of their career, probably looking for a more like player coaching thing like they had at um, Chelsea, going to San Diego with Carly Telford or with uh, Casey Stoney. So she, they already have a great relationship. There are very few other players even close to like Ellie Robach's experience and they definitely needed some sort of backup. But I wonder, did they feel they missed the boat a little bit with some of the goalkeepers that went in this past summer and there wasn't all that much out there for them in this transfer window? It definitely seems that way, but even Everton's got signed a goalkeeper. So I don't know, do you look at somebody like Courtney Brosnan? Like you kind of worry for her if she's behind um, McKeever and then they're signing another goalkeeper as well. You could could look, okay, what's the options there? Just somebody with a bit of experience. Um, That's kind of what I was expecting, maybe City City to sign. They didn't. I think a lot of Irish people as well will probably back your award for most surprising of the transfer window. <laughs> Something I definitely didn't see this coming anyways. I it came the- way out of left field, I think. Um, but it makes complete sense as well from from United's point of view. Um, Diane Caldwell um, on deadline day as well. I suppose after the, a couple of days prior, we obviously heard the news of Millie Tur- Turner not knowing when she'll return and yeah, bringing somebody in on loan till the end of the season so that you have that back up there. Very clever, and obviously Diane is like rakes of experience as well. So, um, but yeah, I just I suppose I never thought I'd see her in the WSL because she's always just played over over Europe and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, great that we'll get to see more of her, but um, com- completely out of left field. And when I just seen it on the timeline, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those ones you love to see as well. Like a lifelong United supporter, you can kind of tell just by her tweet, like what it means to her and what she's going to give to the jersey. So she's automatically ingratiated herself with United fans. Um, Mark Skinner's already touched on what a professional she is. I think we all know that she's 33, but she's one of the fittest players, even though she's centre back, like she never lets her standards drop. So um, even if her game time is limited, like what an experience that is for her. Um, but like you say, with Millie Turner out, she might be given a, a role in that team, um, particularly as the season goes on. And I know that she'll she'll cherish every moment of it. And yeah, really, really looking forward to seeing that. The first Irish player in a United jersey. Um, very excited as a fan because we haven't <laughs> had much to shout about on the, the men's side uh, this transfer window. So yeah, I was buzzing to see a couple of signings, especially someone we know so well. I also think we talk a lot about how much United need more experience because they do have quite a young team sheet and like obviously Diane's going to bring that. You look at everyone who has played with her and that's what they talk about, like the fact that she is an ultimate professional and that she brings that experience because she has played for so many different teams and in so many different places. I mean, we always talk about from an Irish perspective how great it is to have someone who's played across Europe for us um, because we're able to have like better knowledge of what they're facing into. So definitely a very exciting signing and hopefully we will have her on the podcast at some stage to talk about it properly. (laughs) She doesn't have the excuse of a time difference now. So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. An honourable mention just, I suppose, to is United's deadline day in general. I think like by the afternoon, I don't think anyone was expecting it and United fans were probably wanting something anything and then they go and sign three because they got Jade Moore as well which is another experienced head to add add into the squad as well which is good and yeah as we kind of touched on already Carly Telford leaving Chelsea to go to uh, San Diego as well was a bit surprising 
I suppose mm-hmm. you, not from a not getting game time point of view for the point that she is in her career, but she always just seems so ingrained and an important member of the the Chelsea um, dressing room. For, just from purely looking at, looking at how the squad reacted to to her leaving as well. Um, and finally, Emma, for your most stupid or strangest one of the entire January transfer window, what did you go for? I feel like this is a club that they're going to hate us by the end of this podcast. <laughs> well, Birmingham just not doing anything. Um, and Leicester, similarly, they've done a little bit, but like you'd think that a club in that position would want something, even if it's someone on loan, just to inject something fresh, give a bit of energy into the team and kind of try push on a bit and try to get themselves out of trouble. But they just don't seem to have the backing. And yes, that's why I've got it in as most stupid, strangest decision not not to yeah, do anything at we, all. Yeah, I think we direct that at the higher-ups in the club as opposed yeah. to the management. I mean, yeah. to me, that's just a clear sign of not having the backing. Um, like you say, someone on loan, someone who scored a few goals from WSL2, even looking maybe at the Irish League, could they have bolstered from there? They've chosen not to, and I think that you just kind of have to look at the behind-the-scenes action as to what, why that might be. Yeah, 100%. And then, yeah, just another one is, again, outside of the WSL and over in the US is Orlando's, Orlando Pride's just clear out. It's <laughs> like they've lost, like, most of their I'm names. Martha's the still there, but, like, you know, <laughs> and Casey Stoney has seemed to have a great time by just pulling <laughs> them all over to San Diego. So, um yeah, just I think whatever's going on there is a bit strange, and fans that have just bought uh, season tickets probably aren't too happy not to see the likes of Alan, um, Alex Morgan and stuff like yeah, yeah, there's a lot. It of seemed to me very much like the sort of situation where they were clearing out a lot of their older names. Like it's fair, someone like Alex Morgan is still performing at an incredibly high level, but it strikes me as a team trying to build a younger roster and trying to change things up a little bit because as we've seen it haven't had all that su- much success the last couple of seasons even with those big names but to be confirmed we can check yeah, back in yeah. on that not sure how their advertisers will feel about that but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. I just wonder was uh, Casey Stoney on the phone to Mark Skinner going hey what's the crack of these players do you recommend <laughs> them? There. okay yeah pull them across well what do you reckon did Emma nail it with her selections did we miss something glaringly terrible did your team make the biggest transfer and we didn't seem to mention it at all get your thoughts and opinions into us on Twitter at off the ball using the hashtag OTB Koi gig joining us on the podcast this week is Kira Grant newly signed Rangers player Kira Grant that is I should give you your full title at the start how are you feeling it's been a pretty exciting time for you yeah, hi Kathleen. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's been a it's been an exciting kind of interesting last few weeks. So yeah, no, I'm feeling good. Well, you absolutely ruined us. We were planning a big WNL preview with you, and then you just <laughs> threw it all in the bin. <laughs> I know yeah, it's a great move. Congrats! Thanks very much. Appreciate that. I saw you talking. I think it was on a piece with Drown Rudin in the. Um, Irish Times like a couple of months back talking about wanting to make a move and to go somewhere outside of Ireland do you want to tell us a little bit about how the move came about I think I saw as well that you've been training with them for a couple of weeks before the deal was actually announced yeah I suppose um so I finished up my contract with work back in July and I was trying to figure out what the next move was um I've just gotten back in the Irish squad so 
you know, Karen, you know yourself, like the game is just getting better and better, even like in our home league. Um, so trying to get a full-time job and stay at the level I was at and push on just wasn't going to happen. So I started looking in and just working pretty much to my rent and then try to kind of live like a professional in Ireland. So I started training with boys. So I was training as much as kind of the girls over in England, just trying to bridge that gap. Because when you go with the Irish team, like there's always a jump up from club. But the jump was just, you know, it was quite obvious to me the difference between me and the girls playing full time in terms of kind of consistency, repeatability. I was tired by the end of the camp and the girls were fine. They're going back into their team, probably playing a game in the next day or two. Um, so, yeah, so I'd reached out. I signed with Sisu Sports. Um, Lindy is my agent. And she's just been a great kind of mentor and, and, and kind of advising me on how to make the breakover. So just doing a bit of networking, talking to people, getting a feel for what leagues, you know, um, are kind of would suit me in terms of playing style, in terms of kind of the full professional outfit. Um, so I'd gone over to England. I trained a week with Charlton, which was a great experience. Um, but just mid-season, I think, in the women's game, there's just not much, uh, much finance out there. Um, to sign players mid midway and like you know the cost of living in London is extortionate as well and, uh, really oh, I can week. agree with that yeah. <laughs> as I said in my very cold London apartment <laughs> yeah it's it's crazy and I used to think Dublin was a big city but my goodness London is is huge um, and then so yeah I just got in touch with um, Malachi um, kind of via my agent and um, just myself and just kind of explain my situation and that I was eager to to try and push on and so he was very enthusiastic from the get-go and had me in training kind of about three days after a conversation and we kind of spoke about it and obviously I'm in the off season it had been hard to get a good bit of kind of team training done over the Christmas break because of COVID I was meant to train my brother's team but they were kind of shut down about 10 days before Christmas with COVID Um, so he wanted me in for kind of a week or two really to get a feel of kind of who I was as a person and as a player and to be honest, the facilities and everyone in Rangers, it was just top class from the staff to the players to the training levels. Um, it's ticking all of the boxes for me personally to try and make, uh, you know, try and improve my game. Um, so, yeah, so I, you know, just kind of spoke to a few other people, got kept the head down and just worked hard for the last few weeks. And then last Thursday, Thursday week ago, um, so the manager spoke to me and said he was quite eager to sign me. And then we just had to wait for international clearance and stuff. Um, so yeah, so kind of threw you under the bus a little bit, but I also didn't, didn't really know how to say. <laughs> Forgive you a bit sometimes. <laughs> <Say> no. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think uh, I think just with everyone in the league, you know, for me, it's kind of a personal journey for myself. Like I've absolutely loved the last two years with Shelburne, um, but I know if I want to get better as a player, I just have to be training in you know a, a kind of a more elite professional environment day in day out. Because even though the game is getting better each year here, it's just, um, you know, it's still a little bit behind other countries. Yeah, I think one of the key things you touched on there is you weren't getting the chance to recover as an athlete. Like as good as the training sessions are maybe in the women's league, when you're working eight, nine hour days, you're not getting the outside of football life to, to act like a professional footballer because you have your own profession. And I think that that's the, the, a big gap because like you say, there's so many good people in this country. The training has improved yeah. loads. But until you have the structures in place that allow people to actually be professional 24-7, um, we're not quite going to reach those standards. So it's good to have people like you calling that out because obviously it's another massive loss for the league. And we've kind of seen it with Piemont and Shelburne over the last year. That the names that we've lost are big. Um, it'll probably be good in terms of spreading out the talent within the Women's National League, but in terms of the development of the league, it'll leave something um, 
somewhat of a gap. Um, so as much as we hate losing it, it's hopefully the kick that we need to start looking at semi-professional in this country. Yeah, absolutely. I think even you touched on the recovery there, like, you know, you know yourself, Karen, you're working a full-time job and training to the best of your ability, but like to have any kind of, you know, reaction to the training or, you know, recovery is what you need. And, you know, you, you train really hard and what, three times a week and then you're up awake probably seven hours later into work, working, you know, nine to five, probably a little bit extra. And then back maybe last night, a gym session, going to the pitch and, you're kind of like, it's almost like the contact hours are quite similar, but yeah, there's just no, no time for rest and recovery. And for me, sleep is a big thing. Like I think it's just the, the biggest um, kind of training benefit one can have. Um, and when you're working a full-time job, you just can't do that. Cause like even last year I was trying to, to obviously work like to, to pay my rent and to try and work around training, which was, it was, it was nice, but it was also working 12 hour shifts on your feet for 12 hours and then bombing it straight to training and I think after a few weeks of doing that, I was just like, this is high risk running in, like injuries mm. and, you know, getting a little bit older too. So everything just needs that little bit extra, <laughs> extra care every day. You are, but you have that experience behind you now, or Kathleen, just when you have the experience behind you now, you have your degree, you have work experience, and you obviously know that the longevity in a career isn't massive, particularly when you're working full time. So to make this step at 28, um, some people might see it as a big move, but it's just kind of a reprioritization of things you were doing anyway. Absolutely. And like, yeah, I suppose people, like some people are like, oh, you're taking a lot of risk. I'm taking quite calculated risk. Like, as you said, I do have the, a very good benefit of my degree and you will always do work there. Um, yeah, but for me, it's it's 28 year old making the move because like, like yourself, um, we've been balancing everything our whole lives. I have this opportunity, um, you know, that I kind of work towards and want to push on from. And, um, you know, the game has changed in the last six years. So I'm kind of adapting to that as well. And, you know, you've mentioned a lot of the names that have, have left the league and their new opportunities because of the growth of women's sport and women's football, um, you know, in kind of global at the moment, but, you know, predominantly in England and Scotland. And yes, it's we, we don't want to be the feeder league into uh, Scotland and UK, but until we can start competing I think at a financial level to allow us as players to to make that bridge um, into semi-professional professional and um, it's the only way it's really going to happen because you know the more time we as players and management and staff can dedicate to the game the better the game will get. You mentioned earlier that like with your contract finishing up in work last summer it kind of gave you an opportunity to maybe focus on things a bit more do you think like was this something that you would have liked to have done sooner in some regard or is it like if you had say your contract hadn't ended last summer was it something that you were still aiming to do soon enough because that was it's what you wanted yeah absolutely like I think since I've come back into the National League I had a great year in the north um, playing with Sion and um, that really just kind of relit the the love of football back into me and you know moved back up to Dublin straight away I remember the first shells training I went to and everybody was bouncing the ball around me and I was like I don't know if I can do this anymore (laughs) Um, but it was just so great to see and you know even that like you know the 16 17 year olds are technical current like it's just it's mm. insane I went to watch Central Provincials under 15s and I was almost like blushing on the sideline being like these are good yeah. <laughs> you know but that's what you want to see and it's, it's just great but yeah I was almost obviously COVID and stuff um you know kind of changed the the league but yeah pretty much I'd say so that was about two years ago I kind of I had you know maybe a small idea at that stage but it was kind of stepwise so I just really wanted to try and 
push myself back into the, the Irish squad and just kind of prove to myself that I, I can't get back in there. And once I was back in there, I knew there was definitely deficits in my own game or in kind of just conditioning. Like, and, you know, even speaking to the girls in over, over in England, their game has changed dramatically as well. Like, you know, crazy standards of professionalism. Um, so it was good just even talking to all of them about their kind of weekly routines and stuff. And then going home, working on that and just trying to, to stay in that kind of um, tournament squad with Vera and the team. Um, and then, yeah, just trying to network and see see if there was opportunities for a 28-year-old <laughs> over, <laughs> over the water. I think I read somewhere after you signed that you're the first Irish international to join Rangers in 90 years. And I think we all know like Glasgow quite well because that tends to be where a lot of the Irish women have ended up. But what could someone who doesn't watch Rangers all that much or doesn't know all that much expect from this as a squad? Um, from a squad, so Rangers as a club, I think they have um, several different styles of playing throughout their academies, throughout their men and women's team. Um, I can't explain to you the, the, the facilities when I arrived over were just top class. Um, you know, everything, they've eight or nine full-time staff for the women's department at the moment. Um, so everything is there for you. You literally just have to turn up um, training is all really well organized, structured for the week. Um, the girls are extremely competitive. Like I think there's competition for every position on the team. Uh, they're currently top of the season. They're trying to uh, push off Glasgow City. You know who've been there for the last 14 years. So I think even the entire Scottish league. Like there's some girls on the team who are 17, 18 who've never actually known another winner in the Scottish league, which is is kind of crazy. Um, but no, I just think a lot of hard work and you know quite a lot of and technical, skillful, um, attacking players in the team as well. So, um, from the games I've seen so far, it's you know it's quite exciting to, to be. Yeah, and that's a big game coming up next weekend. So the the top yes. of the table clash. Um, you do have to play each other three times, but I think baptism of fire maybe. <laughs> we come in into it. I don't know if you'll be reaching out to the other Irish girls <laughs> this week. You might wait another couple of weeks for that. Yeah, I think we'll just just see what happens over the next week or two. Uh, <laughs> No, I was hoping we were meant to play Aberdeen yesterday, but um, I think uh, the storm was quite bad up there. So it was called off um, just for everyone's safety. So it would have been a nice game to kind of um, to play in. So, you know, we'll just we'll just see what happens during the weekend at the weekend. But no, I'm this is once again where we planned it entirely wrong and that we could have just had a round table <laughs> with all the Scottish girls that are, all the Irish girls that are playing up in Scotland and got the rivalry really going. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because so I had a few texts from uh, some of them, even uh, the girls in the Celtic team too, um, just with some eye emojis. So I know, yeah. like it's you know, it'll be. I mean, you mentioned it; it's it, it is ninety years or something since an Irish international played. And when you weren't playing the women's national league, it wasn't like you weren't doing anything. You were away playing um, Gaelic football up with Donegal. Do you think you'll be teaching the girls at Rangers that, or will you, you wait a few months before you start introducing that to train? I think a few months, maybe. Um, they are really yeah. dancing and stuff, so you know the Scots and the and the Irish have a lot of uh, things in common. But uh, no, I, I don't think that Gaelic, Gaelic is alien, alien to them. <laughs> well, with someone of your skill around in general, I'm sure you won't be long helping them pick them pick it up a little bit. When you go in and you see like the sort of facilities that you've access to at Rangers, like is there a tiny part of you that ever feels annoyed is maybe the wrong word, but just a bit reminiscent of the fact that, oh, I could have had this from a much earlier stage if things had just been a little bit better set up here. Like we talk so much on this podcast with people about even how much more it would help if we had semi-pro status. Never mind, even close to professional. Like, is there any part of you that kind of looks at 
the facilities and wishes that this had all happened a lot sooner? I think yes, like there's always going to be a part of you, I think especially as your career starts to, to move on to. And I think I read a nice quote from Kelly Murphy during the week about that she would be very excited as a, a 10-year-old, you know, 12-year-old at the moment or somebody just coming into the Women's National League because it's, it's night and day to what it was 10 years ago and even just... You know, like you know, you turn on the TV now at the weekend. There's women's games left, right, and center. Um, it, it's it's incredible. And you know, this podcast as well. Like I tune in pretty much every week as well. Um, it's just great exposure for everyone. Um, I just think there's so no you've point. You've heard Karen getting laughed at every single week by yes, Irish yeah. head up. <laughs> I, I had a lot. I had a lot of laughs at the preseason jelly legs as well. We, we've all been there. Oh. They're, no, they're no longer jelly. They literally just don't move anymore. So yeah, they're just concrete blocks right now. Um, yeah, no, like you know, you see these facilities and you can imagine different life if you had that from you know a younger age. But I think with everything, you know, even in the last say, year, two years where things have been making small steps, I think all women in sport and in general just have to say thank you, but don't be overly thank- thankful. Say thank you and then ask for the next thing. I think we just have to keep pushing the whole time um, and demand standards. Like I turned up to Shelburne training two years ago, all, you know, excited. First day out in the AUL, lots of memories there. As Karen would know from under age. <laughs> horrible food Um, but you know it was kind of it was nice and I turned up and the guy at the gate was smiling and I was like hi how are you and he was like oh uh, two euro and I looked at him and I was like oh I'm I'm with the women's team and he's like yeah yeah two euro to park your car and I was like no (laughs) (laughs) I don't have any cash and I'm not giving you two euro to park to train and then I arrived and you know kind of went from like way up here to being knocked back to to women's sport reality and I spoke to Pearl about it and she was like, oh, yeah, no, like, yeah, he does. He does that. And I was like, well, that needs to be cut straight away. Like, you can't be paying to come to training. Like, this is not OK. And, you know, four weeks later, we didn't have to pay. But the girls who'd been there were just, oh, that's what we do. And I was like, no, that's not OK. You know, so I just think small margins. Um, but again, I think a lot of us are used to substandards. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of like, all right, whatever. This is the way it is. But I think, yeah, as you said, when you get exposed to these other facilities and they're like this could happen in Ireland like you know the fact that the like we don't have a indoor dome so that like you know pit matches training can go on all year round is baffling to me like you know we have massive um area around Dublin that they could build something like that and um, so we can have better training facilities and um, gym facilities but you know I think just everybody just needs to keep pushing because we are going the right direction but we just need to keep that momentum going yeah, and even then, if we did have those facilities, would it be right to move back to, say, the Winter League? Um, because yeah. obviously we have such competition with the GAA that it is, it, like we lost you for a few years from the Women's National League. There are other people who we've lost who have chosen GAA over soccer for one reason or another, but it doesn't have to be the case. And it certainly doesn't have to be the case that early, you know, people are really diversifying their sports at a young age now. Um whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it's good if they're committing to soccer, but yeah. you were a dual player um, and it probably benefits you in both ways. So yeah, there's a good bit to think about, but or like you say, we just don't have the infrastructure at the moment. No, we don't. And like how many games used to be cancelled, Karen, or like, you know, just, yeah, going out to, to pitches and playing a game, but not suitable at all. Um, but yeah, we like to say, there has been improvements. Like yes. from 10 years ago, there certainly has, but like you say, it's been small steps. 
Yeah, but even if you look at the men's league, like they do often struggle as well, mm-hmm. um, just with pitch facilities. They have a lot of rescheduled games, things like that. But yeah, the dual, the GA in soccer, I think you know we're a small population island. It's you know there's not, you know yes the number of women or girls playing sport is increasing, but we're still we've a small pool of players to choose from. But you see in Galway this year, I think you know kind of once the Gaelic season started, every second week you didn't know what Galway team were going to turn up, how many of them were going to be missing. And then, you know, you have teammates. They turned up in the last game of the season, I tell you. <laughs> I, sl- I slipped from a few, uh, few, few 20s. <laughs> that parking money went to different. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, look, and people trying to play two games a weekend as well. Like, it's just, it's not sustainable. And um, But I, I, I don't have the answer. I don't know what the answer is. Um but no, as you said, like the changes from 10 years ago to now is, is night and day um, in almost all aspects of the game. So it is great. Um, Just need to look at it a bit more at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I absolutely like last season, I think, you know, I know, Karen, unfortunately, you were at the other end. But like the emotions of the last day of the league and even just the promotion from TG Cahar, everything was it was excellent. It was, you know, it was a great kind of coverage for the league. So many people talking about it. Um, and just, you know, kind of bring it into next season as well. And it wasn't a one-off. I mean, the previous season went down to the last game of the season as well, local rivalry, and we came out on top. We just want to slip that one in there. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, but it, like we didn't have TG Carr, so it definitely wasn't spoken about as much. So those things yeah. have been huge, and, and long may that continue. Absolutely, and I think, the, you know, I think TG Carr are getting on board a little bit more, and I think they're trying to finalise the, the final dates and stuff. But absolutely, like so many people... We're talking about it, people that I hadn't even heard from in years mm-hmm. were reaching out afterwards. So, no, it is great to see. And then, you know, like platforms for players who want to go abroad as well. Like the Irish League's never really even looked at, but now that all the games are streamed, there's, you know, there's scouting reports, there's everything. Like it is, it's it's getting there. Um, and look, having been in Scotland for a few weeks, I don't think we're far off the game over here at all either. I know you were over watching some of the games mm-hmm. too, Karen. Um, it's just you know small advantages that they have and it's full-time training you know you just can't compete with it maybe once off you can compete with it but not week in week out so what is the if before from the summer up until the Christmas if you were looking at kind of you know improving your training be more consistent in that and signing with a more professional team what is like from for 2022 what is Kira Grant's aim for the year <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> uh, well the aim for the last few weeks has just been yes try and get my uh, get pen to paper and play full time football so really now it's just head down and enjoy the experience as well like you know enjoy kind of the off time as well because um, I think we all live such busy lives too so it's going to be nice to have a little bit of time to myself in the, after- in the evenings and try to figure out what I what I like to do again <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're very much looking forward to following your journey, especially the derbies that are coming up soon. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. That's it for this week's Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports in association with Cabri FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. We'll of course be back in your podcast feeds again next Tuesday. And who knows, we might actually have a team of the week that is <laughs> a full slate of matches next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening and chat soon. The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports in association with Cabri. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support.